Mark's gospel will be used extensively now through Lent and even on Easter morning. It would seem, therefore, appropriate to remember a few critical elements of the gospel. First, Mark was not an eyewitness to anything Jesus said or did. Two, Mark was in Rome with Peter, who was about to be executed. And sensing that time was running short, Mark had to quickly write down all that Peter shared with him about Jesus, Jesus' ministry, his teachings, the miracles. With little time for editing or being concerned about putting everything in chronological order. Third, and this is critical, Mark's gospel is unsparing in its criticism of the disciples, brutally harsh in how it treats the failures and the personality flaws of the disciples. Mark's gospel treats the disciples like a bunch of ignorant, backwoods sort of people who are just nothing more than yahoos, always misunderstanding Jesus, always getting things wrong, always messing things up. But there is a reason for this. As the Apostle Peter personally experienced, there is no personal failure, there is no amount of personal failures that can ever stop Jesus from loving us or making sure that his will, his plan for us is fulfilled. Let me say that again. There is no personal failure, there is no amount of personal failures that will ever stop Jesus from loving us. Now this was a great comfort for Peter. It should be a great comfort to all of us who struggle, and there's the key word, struggle, to be faithful disciples. Our reading today is Peter's memory of the first miracle Jesus performed after choosing his disciples, the casting out of a demon who had been tormenting a man. The miracle took place in the synagogue at Capernaum on, Sh on Shabbos, on the Sabbath. Now, a preliminary note, and some people may want to get up and walk out, be my guest. Demons are real. They are not figments of the imagination. They are not literary devices to explain the mystery of evil or to frighten children to make them behave. They are real beings, fallen angels, with all the powers and the faculties of angels, and thus powerful, highly intelligent beings who detest us. Why? Because we can have what they have eternally lost, union with God in heaven. The sophisticated Christian who doesn't believe that demons are real and thereby denies the authority of Scripture and denies the authority of Jesus should probably look for a church that will agree with him or her. I have a priest friend of mine, good buddy, who is an exorcist priest. And I'm inclined to bring him over for a couple of days so that you could hear from a first-hand experience from an exorcist just how real the demons are. Now, why would Jesus use this situation to perform his first miracle? Well, remember from Mark's gospel, from Peter's perspective, the mission of Jesus was what? To proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand and do what? Repent. 
The focus of the demons is always to claim dominion over us and that we are without hope. Jesus would use this opportunity to show his newly selected disciples and to any who would open their eyes to the truth that it is his Father who has the last word over us, not demons. Now, notice the comment of the demon. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? The Greek literally translates as, what to us and to you, Jesus of Nazareth, which in antiquity was a very hostile expression. It essentially says, mind your own business, Jesus. This man is ours. And then the demon added, have you come to destroy us? See, the demons know what we don't. That the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of the Christ, meant that their days to roam throughout the world to inflict pain and suffering are coming to an end. That, that the time for their eternal confinement is approaching. Then the demon said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. This was not a statement of faith, but rather an extension of hostility an effort by the demon to reveal Jesus' identity before the proper time, to spoil Jesus' mission. And Jesus' response. Our text records him saying, quiet, come out of him. It's a lousy translation. The word that was translated as quiet better translates as be muzzled. Be muzzled. What is the most common creature we put a muzzle on? A dog. In the Middle East, to call a person a dog is one of the greatest insults you could possibly hurl, especially now to a highly intelligent, powerful being. Be muzzled. A much stronger, sharper word, a more hostile word to counter the demon's hostility. We're not comfortable with the idea of Jesus uttering hostile words. But in his love for man against the demons, he will. Then we're told, the unclean spirit convulsed him and with a loud voice and with a loud cry came out of him. Once again, our translation is, well, I'm sorry, but rather milk toast. The verse literally translates as throwing him as if that man was nothing more than a rag doll being thrown about. And loud cry is much better translated as shouting with a great voice to indicate that this demon was utterly fearful and absolutely furious at his inability to resist Jesus, that this encounter with Jesus terrified it to the core of its being. The demon was confronted with its utter powerlessness in the presence of Jesus' authority. Imagine what it must have been like to be in the presence of Jesus' authority and watch this man being thrown about and hearing this ungodly howl of the demon. But what was the nature of Jesus' authority that so terrified the demon? Now, Judaism had rites of exorcism to cast out demons. 
But here, there was no ritual. There was no set of prayers or formulas. No physical touching of the man. Jesus simply used his words. Be muzzled. Come out of him. Jesus' authority is his word. He has all the power of his Father's word because he is the word of the Father become flesh, the very mystery that we celebrated on Christmas. His word always makes real what he sends it out to do and never returns to him empty-handed. And not even a fallen angel, despite all of its immense power and intelligence, can resist him. This is the authority that the gospel tells us amazed the worshipers in that synagogue in Capernaum. I realize that such gospel texts are extremely difficult for 21st century believers to hear. We pride ourselves on our use of logic, reason, science, and we should. We honor God in the use of our mind when we study the beauty of his creation. We honor God when we bring science to its full use to, up, to improve the quality of human life. We honor God with those gifts. And we would much prefer to gloss over references to demons, but the truth is the truth. They are real, and they are part of this incredibly mysterious and complex universe. There is no conflict between the reality of demons and angels and the reality of the laws of physics. Our focus is not on the demons, but on the power of the word, Jesus the Christ. He has the last word over us. Not demons, not logic, not reason, not science. Jesus. Our focus is on the truth that we are deeply loved by Jesus and there is no failure, there's no number of failures that can ever alter that reality. Our focus it's not on the despair that the powers of this world, demonic or otherwise, unceasingly try to impose on us, but the hope, the love that Jesus unceasingly infuses within us. <laughs>